So um, again, today's title is Knowing Your True Identity. And I want to begin with an illustration here, a story. While walking through a forest one day, a man found a young eagle who had fallen out of its nest. He took it home and put it in his, in his barnyard where it soon learned to eat and behave like the chickens. One day a naturalist passed by the farm and asked why it, why it was that the king of all birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with all the chickens. The farmer replied since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. Since it now, since it now behaved as the chickens, it was no longer an eagle. Still, it has the heart of an eagle, replied the naturalist and can surely be taught to fly. He lifted the eagle towards the sky and said, you belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle, however, was confused. He did not know who he was and seeing the chickens eating the food, he jumped down with them again. The naturalist took the bird to the roof of the house and urged him again saying, you are an eagle, stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was, was afraid of his unknown self and the world and jumped down once more for the chicken food. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain. There he held the king of all birds high above him and encouraged him again saying, you are an eagle, you belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle looked around, back towards the barnyard and up in the sky. Then the naturalist lifted him up straight towards the sun and it happened that the eagle began to tremble. Slowly he stretched his wings and with a triumphant cry soared away into the heavens. It may be that the eagle still remembers the chickens with nostalgia. It may even be that he occasionally revisits the barnyard. But as far as, everyone know, as, far as anyone knows, he has never returned to lead the life of a chicken. This illustration is an example of a person who was made and created to be an eagle, yet because of his or her circumstances, has come to believe that they're a chicken. Someone once said, in the e egoic state, your sense of self, your identity, is derived from your thinking mind. In other words, what your mind tells you about yourself the storyline of you, the memories, the expectations, all the thoughts that go through your head continuously and the emotions that reflect those thoughts, all those things make up your sense of self. So if how we see ourselves and what we think of ourselves shapes our identity, then it's absolutely important that you know what your true identity is. Now, why, why is that important? Because once you become aware of who you truly are, it has the potential to change your entire life, your outlook on every single thing, the way you see the world, the way you see your family, the way you see your job, the way you see your possessions, everything changes when you truly become aware of who you are. My hope is that um, this morning's message 
that God would reveal to you through his word and by his spirit who your true basically your true identity so that you may live as you should you see you aren't what's been done to you but what Jesus has done for you you aren't what you do but what Jesus has done what you do doesn't determine who you are rather who you are in Christ determines what you do so before we begin exploring these fundamental fundamental truths let's open up with a word of prayer Heavenly Father we, we thank you for blessing us this morning allowing us to wake up to another wonderful day to to see the sunshine to hear the birds sing to to see your beautiful creation Lord everything that um, also that everything that man has created Lord all the ways that you have blessed us Lord even though sometimes we we forget or we, we put in the back of our mind we are where we are we are breathing and living right now because of your grace and mercy and your love and your blessings Lord so now as we come before you as a church Lord I just pray you speak to us through this message Lord through the passages that we're going to be going through Lord we ask that your word come alive your spirit come and speak to us directly whatever message it is that we need to hear from you especially when it comes to our identity who we are we live in a world where there is a huge identity crisis so many people don't know who they are so if that's anyone out out there Lord anybody here that you will speak to them through this message and reveal to them again who they truly are Lord use me to speak your truth Lord boldly unashamedly let us hear from you now in Jesus name Amen all right so um, we're gonna be going through several passages this morning um, so what okay there's going to be two two main ones that i want you that i'm going to be we're going to be turning to one's going to be in daniel and the other one's going to be in ephesians um so if you want to put a bookmarker in ephesians we're first going to be covering daniel chapter four um if you're able to uh you can follow along with the other passages i'm going to be sharing as well or you can write them down for later reference but for right now um if you don't mind opening up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. I want to begin in verse 28. Verse 28 of chapter 4. And there it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the, ro of his, of the royal palace in Babylon. The king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my, my vast power and for my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on the grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away, driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Like Nebuchadnezzar, many people often find their identity in who they are, what they own, and what they've done in their accomplishments. So let's begin by looking at some of the common ways people often identify themselves by and the dangers that may occur by allowing them to define you. Now these are some of the things that people often mistakenly, unknowingly identify themselves in. First of all, achievements and duties. Four of the, four of the most common areas are education, careers, ministry, and hobbies, or extracurricular activities. The problem that comes with allowing these four areas to become your identity is that you'll always be searching for something to excel, something to excel at, in an effort to outperform others and demonstrate your superiority. Once you find that thing, it often leads to overcommitment and an obsession with mastering it. And as a result, what often seems to happen again, other people and, uh, and, and the things, other people and other things matter little because you've placed yourself at the altar of success to the God of achievement. Winning or becoming the best is all that matters. And the more that that happens, the less compassion you'll have for others. Over time and over, it happens gradually. It doesn't happen right away. There, there will be dis, a disdain for the hurting, for those that are struggling and those that are failing because your focus is solely on boasting about yourself and your achievements. You're no longer focused on helping anybody else out. You're just focused on making yourself out to be something bigger and greater. You're just looking inward, selfish. When you fail or when you do lose, depression, panic, and devastation will overtake you which will make you both miserable and make you a miserable person to be around. The truth is that your identity is not found in education. It's not found in your career. It's not even found in ministry or on those extracurricular hobbies. As a Christian, it's important that you recognize that you have God-given natural talents. Spiritually, you're spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit. And only that, but you're 
uniquely, you have unique abilities. With all these combined, you have the potential to be greater than any of those four areas um, can, you can accomplish in any of those four areas. And you can do so much more for the glory of God. You know, it doesn't matter if you're good at knitting, if you're good at skating, if you're good at um, being a banker, you know, with numbers. All those abilities along with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how God made you unique, man, you can, God can use you to do so many great things for Him. To reach people that haven't been able to be reached. So therefore, understand and use it in you. In Mark chapter 10, verse 38 to 41, Jesus explains the importance of realigning our priorities. Let me read that to you. Mark chapter 10, verse 38. Okay, sorry, it's not going to be Mark, it's going to be Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at, a, at, at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Understanding who you are in Christ will help you to faithfully pursue your duties and use your abilities without them becoming the, the essence of your dignity and identity. Tim Keller said this, if your identity is in your work rather than on Christ, success will go to your heads and failure will go to your hearts. The, mo the next common thing people find their identity in is in their possessions. Common examples of this our money, cars, technology, and houses. You see, what we own is, our, is a public way of projecting of what we want others to believe about us. And for some people, it defines who they are. See, when we're not keeping up with the Joneses, it somehow devalues us as human beings. You see, when consumerism is your religion and your possessions are the object of your worship or the things you end up owning, own you. You don't own them, they own you. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not sinful to buy things. It's not even sinful to even appreciate and enjoy them. However, when those things become the source of your identity, we become guilty of idolatry. In Mark's gospel, we're once again, I'm sorry, in Luke's gospel, we're once again given an example 
of someone who had the opportunity to gain everything, but he just, if he had just surrendered it, if he had just surrendered the source of his idolatry. I'll go back there again. We're in Luke chapter, um, this, this time I'm going to share a story from Luke chapter 18. I'm reading from verse 18. A ruler asked him, and this is Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. I have kept all these for my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. You see, this rich young ruler here, he had the opportunity to follow Jesus and gain eternal, gain the wisdom of God, something that money could not have bought him. But yet, he couldn't get rid of his idol, the source of his identity. For some people, it is money. For other people, it's their houses. For other people, it's their courage. For some people, it's their, um, could be their cars. You know, they can have a, uh, they could be living in a, in a bad, ugly apartment, but they'll have the nicest BMW and Mercedes parked in the, in the driveway because they want to drive around and let others know, yeah, this is who I am. This is my Mercedes and I may live like a poor man, but I have my Mercedes. That's who I am. And again, the same thing could be applied to a home. Someone can have a million-dollar home in California, multi-million-dollar home, yet be broke, completely broke, because they want to be perceived as someone who has money. That has it's become their idol, becomes their identity. This can be true, just of pretty much anything, anything you own and possess. So think about what, what it is. What are those things that, that if you lost, you would completely lose yourself. You would completely lose your identity. And if you can think of that one thing, then reevaluate it. Reevaluate what's important to you, whether that thing has become an idol for you. You know, I don't, you know, I don't think I need to mention it again, but an idol is anything that you put above and beyond God. And this was, this was stupid of me. Um, but we were in New York a long time ago and I put my phone down at the table and, and it got swiped. And you can ask my wife, but I overreacted. I let it ruin my whole entire night because that was my phone. You know, that was everything for me. And, and looking back now, I'm like, man, that was so dumb. You know, I see now that, you know, that thing I was worried about and mad about and it, it was, I was, it was, I was using it as an idol. It had to become an idol for me. Now, if I was, someone was to swipe my phone, yeah, I would be mad because a lot of personal information there and 
my pictures and, you know, stuff, but I know that's not the end of me. I know that that's not where my identity lies. So again, be aware. Be aware of what, of what those things are in your life. Now, the other thing most, a lot of people find their identity in is their collective tribe of people. Now, examples of this are race, gender, gender, and ethnicity. God made us for friendships and community. And it's a good thing to have others in our lives. However, like all things, this good thing can become a bad thing if others become the source of our identity. This happens broadly in our identification with a collective tribe of people and narrowly in our individual relationships with others. Now, what do I mean by tribe? Your tribe is a greater community in which you most closely identify with, such as family, city, school, club, sports team, maybe even church, certain church organization, um, or a church group. Now, aside from the ones that I already mentioned, your tribe can also include having the same national, you know, a group of people that have the same nationality, culture, income level, political party, and yes, even sexual orientation. Like I said, while it's good to have community, we often turn this good thing into a bad thing by basing our identity on and idolizing other, our tribes. You see, when that happens, we, what often happens is that we demonize other tribes. And when that happens, often unnecessary, unnecessary, unnecessary hostility with those who aren't part of your community, part of your tribe, often follows. You know, oh, you're not part of my group, my nationality, my culture, my, my school. You're not part of you know, my particular group. Man, I, I have an issue with you. Have, we don't want you. Get out of here. You know, there's just this hostility. There's, that's why there's just always constant fighting. Many times, you know, we, we hear about that in a lot of these protests that are happening on the street. You know, um, there's just too much identity politics. There's just too much um, um, tribal thinking, small group thinking, and outsiders, other ways of thinking, other ways of, of, of communing with other communities, with other tribes. It's, it makes it they make it impossible. They're always warring, and they're always fighting. Now, from my own personal example, you know, I, it was difficult for me. It was, it, there was a time when it was just really hard for me to, to really part, be part of, well, I didn't think I could be part of a church because of the people I hung out with, the, the, 
people I associated myself with. That was my tribe. That was my group of people. We liked to hang out, drink, you know, just, just have a crazy time. And when the Lord is finally calling me to come back to Him, that was something I struggled with. Lord, I had, that's part of my identity. Identify with those people. If those people aren't there anymore, I don't know who uh, I'm going to be. You know, and it was really difficult. The Lord showed me over time, I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a new community. I'm going to give you a new tribe, a lot better. You know, and, and they're going to bless you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to encourage you. And you, they're going to be able to do things for you that this other tribe, this other group, this other small community wouldn't be able to or will never be able to give you. Now, for those of you who say, hey, you know what, you don't know what I've been through, you don't know what I've lost because, or you don't know what I'm risking if I was to come to Christ. I do. You know, I had almost lost, I pretty much did. I lost my job. I pretty much I lost my family. I'd come to a point where God had to take, strip things away from my life to show me who I truly was, to show me where my true identity laid. You know, and, and it took all that. And, and if that's what you're going through and that's what you're... You're suffering now, loss. Let me tell you, just hold on to Christ. Hold on to Jesus because, man, He's going to show you a better way and He's going to bring the right people into your life if you just allow Him to. And you've got to trust Him. Believe me, I know that it, took, it was challenging, but He did that in my life and I saw, I've seen Him do it in the lives of others as well. So again, just be aware of those things. Don't let, you know, the tribe of people, your possessions, your, your achievements to become your identity. Because ultimately, they're not gonna, it's not going to lead you anywhere. It may lead to temporary success. It may lead to temp wealth and popularity. And, but in the eternal perspective, it's, it's not not going to do anything for you. Now, as believers, although we're all different in one way or another, we are united together by the blood of Christ. And as a result, God sees us all as equal. Therefore, we ought to see each other as He sees us and should avoid making this church or any group we belong in or belong to a closed community of people. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another with love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope 
at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. While, while I'm leading in this church, anybody who walks through, the, through those doors, regardless of what group they identify with or what they identify, what group they identify, they will be welcomed, regardless of, of their background, regardless of the tribe they belong to. Because I believe that over time, when they, when they surrender those tribal identities, God will reveal to them a greater, a greater tribe that they are becoming a part of now, that they will become a part of. And we just got to allow God to speak to that person and show them that he has something greater waiting for them, just like he showed me. He has to strip away those things, those idols, all those things to show you who he really is. So now that I've mentioned some common ways people tend to mistakenly identify themselves as, I want to mention some ways that the devil uses lies about us or to us, how the devil lies, the devil lies to us about our identity. And these are the lies the devil tells us to believe about ourselves. The devil will tell you that you're a good person, that you're good. The devil will tell us that being good is good enough when the reality is, Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned. And when it comes, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and standards. Therefore, when it comes down to it, you need to realize and understand that without God's forgiveness, we are guilty sinners in His eyes. You may do a lot of good things, but on a scale of God's holy, righteous standards, a person's sins will always outweigh their good deeds. However, a few verses after Romans chapter 10, or Romans 3 verse 10, in verses uh, 23 and 26, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They, speaking of those who trust in Christ, are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare, and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. The devil will deceive you by telling you that you are the master of your own destiny. When the reality is, Romans 14, 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. If then you're going to be held accountable for every word, 
for every deed you ever did while you were alive, how will God judge you? Innocent or guilty? Well, Jesus died on the cross so that your sins may be forgiven and so that you can stand justified. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us, He made the one who did not know sin to be a sin for us, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that make sense? Jesus became our sin. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin. All our sins, everything we ever committed, past, present, future, was placed on Jesus as he was dying on the cross. For what? For what? Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't believe the lies of the devil because all he wants to do is to kill and destroy as many people as he possibly can. He wants to drag anybody and anybody he possibly can to hell with him. At the end when he's judged and when he's thrown and he meets his demise and he's thrown into the lake of fire, he just wants to bring as many people with him as possible. Sadly, there's been a lot of people who have. You know, don't let that be you. Don't believe those lies. Now, yes, you may have the freedom to choose how you live your life, but ultimately, God will hold you accountable for that freedom that He's given you, that free will that you have. When you see him face to face, he's going to ask you, what did you choose? Did you choose me to live for me in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the trials, the tribulations? Or did you choose the world? Did you choose to live for your own pleasures and for your own, to live for yourself, to make a name for yourself? You can't lie to God. He will know. He'll know what's truly in your heart. You have free will, freedom of choice. Special gift God has given you. He didn't have to, but he did. Because he wanted you to choose to love him, to be obedient to him. Another lie from the devil that keeps people from discovering their true identity is that God would never accept love and forgive you. Neil T. Anderson wrote this, the major strategy of Satan is to distort the character of God and the truth of who we are. He can't change God and he can't do anything to change our identity and position in Christ. If, however, he can get us to believe a lie, he will live as though he, he will, we will live as though our identity in Christ isn't true. Jesus said in, Matthew, in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, I tell you, 
anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and I will not come and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life and Colossians chapter 1 verses 19, 19 through 22 we're told for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him again speaking of Christ and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated and hostile in your minds expressed in your evil actions but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy faultless and blameless before him no matter how bad you think you've blown it no matter how bad you think you've fallen away while you're alive while you're still breathing while he's still giving you breath in your lungs and and he's still allowing your heart to beat you are not beyond redemption God can and will forgive you now with that I want to spend a few minutes telling you of where your true identity lies so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 1 and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously previously lived according to the ways of the world of this world according to the ruler of the power of the air the spirit now working in disobedient in the disobedient we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also but God who is rich in mercy because because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for you are saved by grace through faith and is and is not and this is not from yourselves it is a gift it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do now before I continue I want to share another story I found the story is told of an artist Paul Gustav Dory who was traveling in Europe when he faced a predicament he reached a border crossing and discovered that he had misplaced his passport. Without his, pa without his papers, the officer wouldn't allow Dora to pass. Finally, Dor it could be Dore, 
was given a test to prove his identity. The official gave him a piece of paper and a pencil and requested he draw a group of nearby peasants. Dory did so with such ease that the official was convinced he indeed was a famed artist. Paul Dory's identity was affirmed through his work. Many people in our world find their identity through their work and accomplishments. As Christians, our identity is not in what we do, but who we belong to. We are children of God, heir to his kingdom. Apart from God, we have no identity and are but another lost soul in this world. But with God, we are a child of the King. We have hope, we have purpose, and we have meaning. No matter what fails in your life, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you are a child of God. Outside things can change, but you will always be one of God's own. This is who God says we are. You are made in His image. Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Now some may ask, did man's fall to sin destroy or remove the image of God? No, it merely marred or disfigured it. This is a cruel, this is a crucial distinction since it is the imago or the image that makes us different, that, that makes us different than the rest of God's creation. As the theologian Louis Burkhoff puts it like this, the doctrine of the image of God in man is of the greatest importance in theology. For that image is expressed of that which is most distinctive in man and his relation to God. The fact that man is in the image of God distinguishes him from the animal and from every other creature. To put it another way, it's, precise, it's precisely the image of God that makes man human. Man could not lose the image without ceasing to be what he is. Furthermore, it's not only because he retains it, even in a broken and distorted form, that man is redeemable and worth redeeming. Without it, God would not have would have no reason or motivation to send his son to die on our behalf. This is a vital point, not only from a strictly theological point of view, but also in connection with practical issues, such as the sanctity of human life. And what I mean by that, that that's what makes life so precious and so important. And that's why we need to stand against all forms of infanticide, whether it be abortion, and also all forms of assisted suicide. In God's eyes, all life is precious. God has a time and a place 
where each person will draw their last breath. And we have to allow God to be God. We are made in the image of God, and that's what makes us precious. That's what makes you precious. That's what makes you valuable. You can find your identity in that. Also, you are unique. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 says this, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because you have been remarkably and wonder, wondrously made. Because I'm sorry, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And this goes back, to get back again to what I mentioned earlier. You are uniquely made. You are distinctly, God made you for a special reason and a special purpose. Don't ever forget that. Don't allow anyone to ever tell you that you weren't meant to exist, that you're better off dead. You've, you might have heard all the awful, horrible things people have said, but you are precious in his eyes and you are unique. And because of that, he loves you so much. All my children are different from one another. And because of that, I love them unique in their own unique, my own unique way, in their own unique way. They're all individual people and, and regardless of their, their bad parts, I still love them. And the reason I say this is, is as an example, that's how God sees each and every single one of us. We're all unique. You're unique. Appreciate that. Love that. And, and, and I'm just talking, I'm also talking about people with disabilities, people with special needs. Even those people are uniquely made. God made them that way for a purpose and a reason. They may not understand it, or they may, they may understand it, but they may not. But many times, those people are placed in our lives to be a blessing for us, to show us things about ourselves, show us what really matters in life, to appreciate what we've been given, the health the, you know, that we have, oh, be, be, be thankful for what we have, what we've been given. But that does not take away from their own uniqueness either. They're special. In God's eyes, they're just as special as you and I. You are loved. John 3.16, many of you are familiar with this. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His own, one and only Son so that everyone, let me repeat that, everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Since it is God's essential nature to love, he demonstrates his love by lavishing it on undeserving people 
who are in rebellion against him. God's love is not sappy, sentimental, rom a romantic feeling. Rather, it is agape love, the love of self-sacrifice. He demonstrates his sacrificial love by sending his son to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, by drawing us to himself, by forgiving us of our rebellion against him, and by sending his Holy Spirit to dwell in, within us, thereby enabling us to love as he loves. He did this in spite of the fact that we did not deserve it. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is personal. He knows each of us individually and loves us personally. And let me repeat that again in, in a more personal context. God's love is personal. He knows each of you individually and loves each of you personally. His is a mighty love that has no beginning and no end. It is this experience, it is this experience of God's love that distinguishes Christianity from other religions. Now why does, does God love us? Now, I want to share with you what now we've become. If you're a Christian and if you're a believer, this is what you become now in Christ. This is who your identity is now in Christ. And I, I, with the time that we have, again, I only, I'm only going to mention three, but there are various things here and throughout Scripture that will show you who you truly are. Now I'll go quickly uh, through them. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. The word therefore refers back to verses 14 and 16, where Paul tells us that all believers have died with Christ and no longer live for themselves. Our lives are no longer worldly. They are now spiritual. Our death is that the old sin nature which was nailed to the cross with Christ, it was buried with him. And just as he was raised up by the Father, so are we raised up to walk in the newness of life. That new person that was raised up is what Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 5.17 as the new creation. You are the oldest past, you're no longer that person. You don't have to find your identity in that person you once were. You are a new creation. And that's where you ought to find your identity in. That new person, that new creation. Another thing you become in Christ, you are saved. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for, for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
how much more then? So since we have been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved from him, from his wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through, his, through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. What are we saved from? In the Christian doctrine of salvation, we are saved from wrath, that is, from God's judgment of sin. Our sin has separated us from God, and the consequences of sin is death. Salvation, therefore, refers to our deliverance from the consequences of sin and therefore involves the removal of sin. Since you are sin, and, and, and just to add something else, since you are saved, you can no longer be unsaved. Your salvation can't be lost, but the rewards and blessings God has in store for you can be forfeited. And God has a treasure chest full of blessings and gifts for you, waiting for you in heaven. And it's up to you whether you want to forfeit it and say, hey, no thanks, I'm going to live for myself and I'm going to enjoy the treasures I have now. Or you can you know, live in whatever poverty you have now and just, and, and the sufferings and, 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 and understand and realize and know that you have an eternal treasure waiting for you. One that moth Moths and rust cannot destroy. So what about the Christian who continues to sin? There's a difference between continuing to sin and continuing to live in sin. No one reaches sinless perfection in this life, but the redeemed Christian is being sanctified. He's being constantly made holy day by day, sinning less, sinning less, and hating it more each time he fails. Yes, we still sin, but unwillingly and less and less frequently as we mature. Our new self hates the sin that still holds on to us. The difference is that the new creation is no longer a slave to sin as we formerly were. We are now freed from sin and no longer and no longer has power over us. We are now empowered by and for righteousness. We now have the choice to let sin reign or to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. Best of all, now we have the power to choose the latter. And finally, you are in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ and you belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed heirs according to the promise. To be in Christ means you have accepted the sacrifice as payment for your own, for your own sin. Our rap sheets contain every sinful thought, attitude, or action we have ever committed. 
No amount of self-cleansing can make us pure enough to warrant forgiveness and a relationship with a holy God. The Bible says that our natural sinful state, in our natural and sinful state, we are enemies of God. When we accept his sacrifice on our behalf, he switches accounts with us. He exchanges our list of sins for his perfect account that is totally, completely pleasing to God. As a divine exchange, as that divine exchange takes place at the foot of the cross, our old sin nature, our old sin nature is exchanged for his perfected one. So do you see our true identity lies in Jesus Christ, in who he made us because we believed, because we've trusted in him. Sure, there are a lot of things out there that are tempting, that are, you know, that often you know, pull us because it's shiny and because it, it'll make, we'll get a, you know, give us a name or make us more popular or whatever it may be. More money, more fame, more power. But all that stuff is not going to be, may satisfy you again, as I mentioned, for a time, but eternally it's not going to do anything for you. My message again this morning is know your true identity. And your true identity lies in Christ. Nowhere else and nothing else. That's where you'll find complete satisfaction. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ and you want to give your life over to Him, you want to make your life new and and you want to find your identity in Him, wherever you're at. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray the simple prayer in your heart with all sincerity. Lord God, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and that I've blown it. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. And now I accept Him as Lord and Savior. I believe he is God and I believe he died for my sins. And so I, now by faith I accept your forgiveness and ask you to fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Live in me so that I may walk according to your ways. Thank you for making me born again. Thank you for giving me new life. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I've kind of went long here with this message, but this is, as I said beforehand, this was a message that was near and dear to my heart because of the fact that I lived it. My identity, I put my identity for so long in so many different things. And when God took them away, it was difficult, it was hard. But it was through those experiences, through that loss, that he made me see where my true identity lies. You can, it, it doesn't have to get to that point. 
wherever you're at now, you can just ask the Lord, Lord, if there's anything in my life that has become an idol, take it away. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want those things to own me. I want, I don't want, I want to own those things. I don't want those things to own me. I'm only saying this again to save you for some heartache. But sometimes we have to go through these things for the Lord to show you how much He loves you. So whether it's relationships, whether it's your careers, whether it's your um, education, whether it's your car, your house. Think of all the fires that are happening in California, the tornadoes that happened recently in the, in the south, Hurricane Florence, the deaths that have happened. God takes away at His, you know, because it's His will. Again, we may not understand it, but it's a purpose for it all. And we must seek Him during those difficult times. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for um, your word here that you revealed to us. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for those times that we found our identity in other things and other people when we should, ought to, when we must find our identity in you, Lord. Because everything will fail us, people will fail us. Everything will fail, Lord, but ultimately we know, we trust that you won't fail us. We can trust on you, in you. You are our rock, you are our anchor. And nothing will ever move you, Lord. Nothing will ever change how you feel about us. Keep reminding us, Lord, of all the blessings you've given us, how you unique, uniquely made us, and that life is so precious to honor it. Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Move us, Lord, where we need to be moved. Just clean out those dark areas of our hearts that we haven't surrendered yet, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's here, Lord, and I pray you be with them, you encourage them, you uplift them, be with their families, those that are sick, those that are suffering, Lord, strengthen them to them too and heal them, Lord. May we just be a shining light to those suffering friends and family members, Lord, and may we just be encouraging an encouragement to them. Bless this upcoming week, Lord. Use us in any way we, you want, and may we preach the gospel when the opportunity arises. Bless this next time in fellowship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.